This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls. Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushduni. Chapter 32. Congregational and National Confessions. Confessions are not limited to individuals, although, as we have seen, personal confessions are of necessity specific and particular, whereas congregational and national confessions are commonly, although not exclusively, general. National days of prayer and confession were once commonplace, whether proclaimed by church or state, in terms of a specific cause or national sin. Of the general congregational confessions, that of the Book of Common Prayer is certainly a classic. Quote, Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. End quote. This is a magnificent statement, and it certainly expresses a sound doctrine of confession. Of course, Anglicans have not been preserved from sin, from Phariseeism, and from hypocrisy thereby. Only those who have been redeemed by God's grace can grow by means of various instruments of grace. We read in we read in Ezra 9.4 that all who, knowing their sin and the nation's history of sin, had assembled themselves together with Ezra. In Ezra 9.6-15, we have Ezra's prayer of confession for these people and the nation. It is a citation also of certain laws against mixed marriages, laws which the people had broken by marrying ungodly peoples. Ezra thereby confesses a specific sin to God, as well as an apostasy and a contempt for God's law word. Ezra prayed, quote, And I said, O oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Since the days of our fathers we have been in a great trespass unto this day, and for our iniquities have we, our kings and our priests, been delivered into the hands of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to a confusion of face, as it is this day. And now, for a little space, 
grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in this holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little revival in our bondage. For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia, to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servants the prophets, saying, The land unto which you go to possess it is an unclean land, with the filthiness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now therefore, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that you may be strong, and eat the good of the land, and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that is come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that thou, our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve and hast given us such a deliverance as this, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldest not thou be angry with us till thou hast consumed us so that there should be no remnant or escaping? O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped, as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before thee because of this. End quote. From Ezra 9, 6-15 First, although as a priest, Ezra here makes confession for all the people, and for Israel from Sinai to the present, it is also a very personal prayer as well. It can be called a high priestly prayer because Ezra speaks as the voice of all repentant Hebrews. He feels intensely and personally the sins of Israel's past and present history. Although it is Judea and not the northern kingdom of Israel that is being reconstituted, he speaks for all the Hebrews and is deeply ashamed of their total history. Second, Ezra's confession has central emphases. God's grace and glory on the one hand, and Israel's sin and presumption on the other. The abounding grace of God had been answered by sin. The chosen people mentality had led to an arrogance on the people's part. When Paul asked the Romans, mainly Jewish converts in Rome, quote, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? End quote, from Romans 6.1. He was satirising and pinpointing a central aspect of the chosen people mentality. It marked the Jews then as it marks churchmen today. Ezra sees it as beginning after Abraham's day, since the days of our fathers, in verse 7. Third, Ezra cites a fundamental fact of the covenant. No covenants with ungodly peoples are permitted and marriage is a form of covenant. Israel had not hesitated to intermarry with unbelievers and this sin was again commonplace in Ezra's day. Such marriages were revelatory of the people's apostasy because primary to their marriages was personal advantage, not obedience to God's covenant. Such marriages broke the covenant. Ezra chose this particular transgression as representative of all their sins and with good reason. The family is the basic covenanted unit 
And if God's covenant is treated with contempt in contracting marriages, then it is despised readily in other areas. Fourth, God's patience exhausted, he had delivered up both Hebrew states to their enemies, to the sword, to captivity and to a spoil. From verse 7. The penalty for breaking God's covenant is death. And God had brought death to both Israel and Judah, but not to all the people. Their cities had been laid waste, the walls of Jerusalem destroyed, the temple levelled, their women and virgins ravished, their people carried into alien lands in chains, and judgment passed on them in a radical manner. With all this vivid in their memories, and with their ruins around them, they were again entering into covenants with the ungodly through marriages. Fifth, God had brought them to confusion of faith, to utter disgrace, and they were not even aware of it. They were returning to their ancient sins as though they were virtues. Instead of seeing their return as the grace of God, in verse 8, they saw it as their just and lawful restoration, as a license to sin again. They were acting as though they could sin and yet grace would naturally abound to them as God's people. It was as though shamelessness had become a virtue to them. We see a like attitude today in the churches. Antinomianism is shamelessly paraded as a privilege of grace. Sixth, the people over the centuries had been repeatedly warned by God's servants, the prophets, from the days of Moses on. All these warnings had usually been in vain. The history of the people was more marked by sin and apostasy than by covenant faithfulness. Seventh, God had been merciful in the face of all these things, yet they had despised his mercies. Ezra confesses that God now has every reason to abandon his people forever. This final casting off, however, had to wait until the coming of the Messiah. The churches should remember that there is now no similar restraint on God's judgment. Eighth, there is not a single request, not a single plea for mercy in Ezra's prayer. It is a prayer of confession, a true prayer. False confessions demand full restoration in return for a few words. Ezra knew that God had every reason to write finished across Israel's history. Ezra's confession was national and congregational, and at the same time intensely personal. Its public nature does not eliminate its private character. Normally, a national day of repentance and confession is marked by more formal prayers. Turning again to the Book of Common Prayer, we find, in the form for a family's prayers at bedtime, the following confession. Quote, most merciful God, who art, pure, who art of purer eyes than to behold iniquity, and has promised forgiveness to all those who confess and forsake their sins, we come before thee in an humble sense of our own unworthiness, acknowledging our manifold transgressions of thy righteous laws. Here let him who reads make a short pause, that every one may secretly confess the sins and failings of that day. But, O gracious Father, who desirest not the death of a sinner, look upon us, we beseech thee, in mercy, and forgive us all our transgressions. Make us deeply sensible of the great evil of them, and work in us an hearty contrition, that we may obtain forgiveness at thy hands, who art ever ready to receive humble and penitent sinners 
for the sake of thy Son, Jesus Christ, our only Saviour and Redeemer. Amen. End quote. At one time, evangelical and reformed children in their evening prayers were taught not only to thank God for the blessings of the day, but also to confess their disobediences. The strength of the formal prayer of confession is that it does, for a moment, require a person to think of himself as a sinner. Its weakness is its generality. The weakness of the extemporaneous prayer is that it easily skips over the matter of sins to concentrate on things desired. Its strength is that, when it is fully conscious of its duties toward the Lord, it is specific and exact in its private confession of sin. In Ezra's prayer, as Kidna noted, quote, He had a high sense of the glory they had betrayed, and he could not be reconciled to what they had become. End quote. This states the case powerfully. Nothing is more presumptuous or untenable than to believe that a personal, congregational or national prayer of repentance means automatic forgiveness and restoration. Sin is betrayal. It is treason against God. The sin of the Christian is a casual disregard or even contempt for the agony of Christ's crucifixion, the source and ground of our atonement and forgiveness. Confession, whether personal, congregational or national, becomes a further offence if done lightly. Heine's repulsive deathbed comment, The good God will pardon me, for that's his job, was perhaps Heine's crowning sin and very revealing of his reprobate mind. This is the end of chapter 32. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.